in this time. It's great to worship with uh, the body of believers all around the globe. It's fantastic. One of the great joys I have had in my life is to do that. So it's good to be here. And it's good to be back in uh, Churches of Christ. My wife and I became Christians two years after we were married, a long time ago. And, uh, um, and we started going to a little local Church of Christ in a place called Elizabeth in South Australia. Anybody know where Elizabeth is? It's a migrant town in South Australia. It's Jimmy Barnes territory. It's a tough place. And uh, I grew up, come out as a migrant from Ireland. You have to forgive me for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Hegarty's a great Irish name. So is, so is Patrick. And uh, so, uh, see, that's the soul I have to come. Can you just help me with that? Because I. Um, so uh, it was just great. To, we became Christians, started going there, and then 20 years and two churches of Christ and teaching at the college. And then, you know, a call across to the Baptist Church, which was a whole new scene for us. And, and then Compassion, which was cross-denominational um, right across the Christian church. And so coming back this year and sort of semi-retiring, but doing a bit of work in Churches of Christ, it's been great to sort of get back to those roots. And, you know, what was a frontier, fire-in-your-belly movement to start with? Um, and that's what's really crucial about it. It was that movement. It wasn't, it wasn't a respectable bunch of people who got together and did all sorts of religious things. It was a fire-in-the-belly yeah. <laughs> it was, wow. And uh, it was like that, and more probably, but uh, that's what it was. So it's good to be back and to be sharing uh, with you today. We really appreciate that and appreciate the opportunity. Hey, I want to talk about uh, really what I think is a really important aspect of our faith that we don't talk about that much, and I'd, I'd title it The Momentum Within. It's about the momentum within because momentum is a crucial thing. We know what momentum is. We know how important it is. Um, it it's happens in all stages of life. We think of it more in terms of a business or in terms of sport. Um, and momentum is one of those weird things that you either, you either see it or you don't. It's, um, you see it in sport. I, I can remember watching cricket and, and uh, you know, a team has got momentum. They, all the catches get caught. All the bowls do the right thing. They go the right way. And all of that happens well, you see it in other sports as well. How many people were sad on Wednesday night? One team had momentum, the other one didn't. And that's just the way it was. And the thing about momentum is when you've got it, you look better than you are. When you haven't got it, you look worse than you are. That's the thing about momentum. I'm hoping that that's the case, that uh, they're not as good as they looked as they were. So, so that's good. But I want to talk about momentum in our faith. Um, dictionary defines momentum this way. It's the quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and velocity. It's the impetus gained by a moving object. It just simply comes from the Latin word to move. Momentum means movement. It means you know, an aspect of our, of our life that's going. And I, when I talk about it in the faith context, it's about the movement of that. And here's the dilemma. The trouble for us sometimes, our faith gets stuck, Right? It gets stuck. We just find a bit of a, a blockage somewhere. We go along really well and we get stuck. And it happens for all sorts of reasons. It could be something in your life, in your personal life, in your private life, in your family life that actually causes you know, maybe a bit of a barrier to your faith at times and, and it gets stuck. Or else sometimes we, we, compare, we compare our ordinary everyday faith life with someone else's highlight reel. We do that a lot. 
Somebody posts something on, on social media and it's, 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 their, you know, it's, their, it's their final chapter. It's, it's, it's the, the culmination of the book and we're still in chapter one in our own lives. And we compare what, what we seem to be going through, what somebody else posts is fantastic and, and we feel bad. We, our momentum gets a bit slowed down or a bit stuck. Or maybe it's just because, you, you know, you think of the last time you can, you know, testify to when God has done something phenomenal in your life and, 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 and you wish it wasn't as far back as it is. Sometimes the, the period of intermission for some of us just gets so wide, so big and so wide. Sometimes you might even be here and think, I'm, I'm, I'm close to the edge in this thing called faith. I want to talk about the momentum of our faith. It's really important that we do that. And, and you know, sometimes when we talk about these things, you just expect, you know, he's going to talk about five or six or seven points, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine points of getting your momentum back in your faith. That's not it. I've just been thinking about this for a while and I want to share three thoughts with you that I think are important, important for me to understand. I hope they're important for you to understand. I just want to share those thoughts um, with you today. First one's this. Ensure you're living a new covenant faith. Sort of flesh it out a little bit. Ensure you're living. It almost sounds crazy to say, but when we analyse it, very often we're living a. You know, the Bible's written two covenants. You know, God makes a covenant with a nation to change the world, and then He moves to a new covenant to make a covenant with the world. Um, God so loved the world is that new covenant. So we need to understand that we're we're not just adding one covenant to another. It's a new covenant. We're not just trying to, you know, build on top of some sort of religious deal, Jesus. It's not just Jesus gives a new dimension to our life. No, Jesus is all your life. He is your life. That's the new covenant. That's the new thing. And I want to explain that. And we need to understand we're living a new covenant world. In the scriptures say, in Christ you are a new creation. The old has gone, not faded, not tempered off. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what it means to live in this new covenant world. I quite like uh, doors. You'll see a couple of photos of a door. This, this first door you see coming up is, is a, it's a crazy door. It's, it's, it's actually the front door of the offices of Compassion Guatemala. Um, it doesn't look like an office door, does it? You, you roll up to that door, you walk up a couple of flights of stairs, you roll up to that door, and it's just there. It's a stark door. And if you go to the next slide, Noah, thanks, you'll see that little thing by the side of the door is fingerprint recognition. And uh, inside that door, there's another cubicle about a metre and a half square, which is the same door inside that, only it's camera recognition. You've got to go through one and then another. And I said to my colleague there, I said, well, why... why why, uh, you know, why the second door? He said, well, because there's, you know, it's a huge drug and gang culture there. He said, well, people just cut my finger off and get in the first door. No problem at all. So you need a second door, which is, you know, visual recognition. I've got no idea how the first person gets in, but they work it out. It's, it's, it's a door that you get up to and it's cold, it's metallic, it's unwelcoming, it's uninviting. That's the kind of door it is. I want to show you another door. When I was just passing through Los Angeles 
um, one, one, one time in the last couple of years, you'll see the next one. There's a door in a, in, a, in a coffee shop called the Original Pantry Cafe. It's on a corner of two streets in Los Angeles, and, and this door has never been locked in, since 1924 when the cafe was, cafe was opened. In fact, if you look at the next slide, there's no keyhole, there's nothing, there's no way to open or close that door. No way to lock it. And when you go there in the morning, um, I, I took that photo in the afternoon, when you go there in the morning, people are lined up right around the block to get in. So busy. There are people in um, high-vis vests, tradies working there. There's people in business suits. There's, there's people, there's homeless people. There's people, tourists, all trying to get in. It's just a constant flow of people through that door that never gets locked. The question is, what sort of church do we want to be? The second door is inviting. It's, it's, it's really open. It's fantastic. What sort of church? Because we can be either of those churches. Drag the question down a little bit. What sort of people do we want to be? What does my faith look like? Is it a faith that's kind of, you know, cold and uninviting and who would want it and it just turns you away? Or is it a faith that's open and responsive and invites people in? And all of that is determined by what sort of God you think God is. Is God that stoic, um, emotionless sort of deity? Or is he someone who operates in this new covenant world of grace and life and truth and hope? Do we live this new covenant life and this new covenant faith? And I think one of the things to understand most significantly in this new covenant world is the presence of God living in our lives. It's the spirit of God dwelling within us. It's the biggest area, I think, that makes the change, the ongoing presence of God by his spirit in our lives today if we are followers of Jesus. That's the biggest change. It's the spirit, you know, and, and you, you realize the difference. In the old covenant, the spirit of God came upon people for a task. In the new covenant, the spirit of God dwells within people for a life. That's the difference. The, the word we often use we still use it, maybe not as well as we should. The, the word in the Old Testament is he came to anoint people for a task. Today the word is indwelt. You're not just anointed by the Spirit. You're indwelt by the Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. That's what's important to grasp. It's very, very different. You receive the Spirit of God within and it gives you the constancy of the permanent presence of Jesus living in you. And that is the basis of momentum. That's the basis. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures. And the first one's Peter after Pentecost. Uh, you know, when he just realized and he preached for the first time and he realized how much the people had been involved and he'd been involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And the people come to a, to a place of contrition. They really feel, they, oh no, what have we done? We read this in Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They'd come to this place. Peter replied, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And perhaps the most significant one I want to share on today is John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. You see, the, trans, the trajectory of the Spirit now is not outwards to on. The trajectory of the Spirit now is inwards to out. That's the trajectory of the Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the, the Spirit of God dwelling in you like rivers of living water wanting to flow out. And the trouble is we don't believe that sometimes. We still sit back passively and wait for the Spirit of God to do something with us. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you as rivers of living water and the trajectory is for him to come out of your life and flow and make a difference in this world in which you live, in which we live. Really important. And it changed from this old to the new the very moment Jesus breathed his love. The book of Hebrews tells us that covenant change has to, has to be a death for a new covenant, for a new testament. Says when, so when, when you shared Good Friday a couple of months ago now, it wasn't just Good Friday, it was Great Friday. It was Fantastic Friday. Because it wasn't just that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, that would be enough. But he came to bring in a new covenant, which is why it's so difficult for him, because he lived in an old covenant time. He ministered in an old covenant time. But he ushered in a new covenant world and values. That's a difficult thing to do. No wonder the Pharisees hated him, because he's still in that time. It didn't come into play until he died, book of Hebrews says. And it says the old covenant has been is, um, obsolete. And, and so you understand why it was so difficult for Jesus. You, know, you, you start preaching new covenant values, new wineskin values, and you're living in an old wineskin world. That'll get you killed at 33. It's a difficult world. But you're living in a new covenant world now. You and I have the Spirit of God dwelling within us like rivers of living water, not trickles, not streams, rivers of living water waiting to get out. And the implications of that are enormous. They're enormous. You know, let me just mention a couple of them to you. you know, I could go on and on, but I won't. The areas of it makes a difference to our worship, for example, to know that. Sometimes I, I get into times of worship with, in churches and, and, I, and, the, and the impression is that we're sort of in there, we're trying to coax the spirit down from the atmosphere somewhere into our worship. No, no, no. We coax the spirit out to help us worship. It's a whole different ball game. I remember once somebody said to me in this morning service, when do you think the spirit came? And I remember saying, the time the the band came to practice two hours before the service. The, first, the time the first person walked in to the building this morning is when the Spirit came into the building. We have this kind of, you know, like, like God's some sort of, you know, person who's just 
in the sky with a big jug pouring it out as he wishes to his whim. No, no, he's given us his spirit to dwell within us, to make us new covenant people change our lives. Changes everything. It changes giving. The old covenant view of giving was an obligation. It was a religious duty. You gave a tithe as a religious duty. New covenant world is it's not about a tenth, it's about it all. It's all his. And the obligation is not duty, the obligation is generosity. That's what it's about. It changes everything when you realise you live in this new covenant world. That's important. Scripture says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If if the spirit of God lives in you, if you've come to faith in Jesus and he promised he would live in us, it changes everything. changes everything. It changes the momentum of your life and of your faith. When I first became a Christian, I became in a, in a church where, not in the Church of Christ where I was when I started going, but I came to the faith in another church. And people tell me I had to go through all these sort of mental and spiritual gymnastics for the next stage of my faith. No one told me that the Spirit of God came to dwell within me. And I spent a couple of years wondering what that all meant. You know, what, what did it all mean? And, and if no one had told me in that, in that sort of discipleship moment, now, Tim, you are the receptacle of the permanent presence of Jesus who's chosen to live in your life. Now, get on with it. No one, no one said that to me. Come back next week and we'll do the next little phase. No, get on with it. Tim, that's, that's important. We need to live a new covenant faith where the Spirit of God is living within us waiting rivers of living water to get out, to live in the world in which we live. Second thought I have with you, it's always good to say, tell people numbers. You know when the numbers come, you know, he's getting close to the end or he's not getting close to the end. Second thought I have is, uh, it's tied up with that first one, really. And it's this, stop looking for momentum elsewhere. Momentum's within. Stop looking for it somewhere else. It's momentum's within. Momentum, by definition, is a move of God. And the tragedy is we're always looking for a move of God somewhere else, some other place. When I think about my faith, and I've been a Christian now since I was 22. That's a long time, 46 years actually. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I think in that time, and particularly pastoring churches, it's always tempting to think, oh, the Spirit of God is moving somewhere else. You know, you could... You know, you, you, I've, times when I felt my spiritual GPS mustn't be working well because it's pointing me somewhere else than here where I am. And I can remember over the years, you know, the, you could be excused for thinking that, you know, the Spirit of God was in Southern California with the Wimber movement and the Vineyard movement, which was great. By the way, we can learn from all these movements. And then the, the move of God moved to Toronto and it moved to Pensacola, it moved to Chicago, it moved to the northeast suburbs of Sydney. It's moved to all these places. And God is doing, has done some great things in those places and we should learn. But there's not one move of God. There are millions of moves of God. The move of God is in this room. You and I are the move of God. You're the move of God as the Spirit of God moves in you. And as we allow him, we've got to stop looking elsewhere for 
you know, the move of God. God's moving here. He's moving in you. He's moving in me. There's not one move of God in Kenmore. There's lots, thousands. It's like sometimes, and I, I say this cautiously because I think we should pray for revival. Sometimes when we're praying for revival, what, we're, what, we're, what it makes us do is sit back and do nothing until we get hit by revival. It's almost like I'm, I'm praying for a, you know, a, a visitation from heaven. We've had a visitation from heaven. There's nothing greater in heaven than Jesus. Nothing. And we've had a visitation from Jesus. And he's promised us his spirit. So we can see God do amazing things in what we call revival, but God wants to revive you and me. He wants to work his revival in us. Because sometimes it makes us very passive when we pray that. We'll just sit back and wait like it happened somewhere else and we'll just wait for God to move. No, God's moving. God's moving now in your life and in my life. You are the move of God. I'm the move of God. We're the move of God because the Spirit of God dwells within us powerfully, amazingly. So the third thought I have, and here it is, it's, it's, it's realise that you are more important in the work of God and his momentum in you than you think. You're more important in the work of God in this place, in you, in this community, in this world than you think. Much more important. You think it's all up to God, and it is, but it's up to you and God. Let me... Let me try and explain this to you if I can in a couple of ways. This morning as I speak, you hear two voices. You hear what I say and you also hear what you say about what I say. You've got two voices. And the second voice has a lot more weight on you than the first one. The second voice has a lot more weight than you think. Because I say something and then you say, oh, well, I think he's right there or I think he's off track there or I'm going to talk to him afterwards or I'm going to abuse him afterwards or whatever. It's what you say about what I say becomes more, 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 more weighty than what I say. It's much more powerful in you what you say about what I say. And, you know, the, the truth is we do the same with God. God says stuff. God says something and then... We say something about what God says. And what you say about what God says, I hate to tell you, this is far more important than what God says. You hope they're the same, right? You hope they're the same. But God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you say, you don't know my boss. So I ain't praying for him. Right? And that has more weight for you than what God has said to you. We hate to admit it, and we hope they're the same, and very often they are. But when they're not, we have a tremendous weight. You are more important in the work of God than you think you are. Either as a helping that flow or helping that block. We are that. It's just God wants us to do that. 
The second thing I want to say is just to, to share with you a story in Scripture, just to show that you're more important in the work of God than you think you are. There's a story way back in Luke chapter 7. It's a story of a a centurion, a Roman man, who's obviously a fairly God-fearing man, and his servant is very sick, going to die. And so he's obviously in good relationships with the elders of 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 the town where he is, the elders of the faith that are there, because he sends the faith. He's heard about Jesus, and he sends the faith He sends the elders off to get Jesus from somewhere else to come to his home and pray for his servant to get well. So that happens. But after a little while and before they get there, um, he sometimes must have had some other thought, good thought, because he just sends his friends to Jesus and says, don't come. Stop where you are. You've just got to say the word and I know he'll be healed. And he says, you're a man under authority, I'm a man under authority, we understand all that. Just stay where you are. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus stops his entourage right there, and he doesn't go to the house, he stops his entourage, and he says to the people, never have I heard such faith as this in all of Israel. I want you to think about that, because why is that? Because when you read back over a couple of chapters before that, Jesus does amazing things. He heals a leper. He heals a man whose friends brought, took him down. His friends, you know, ravaged the roof of a home to get him down in there. And he healed him and walked away with his bed under his arm. He, he healed a bunch of people at sunset one day, it says. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he's done all that stuff already. Why is it now? Why is it now that Jesus stops the, the entourage, takes a teaching moment and says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel when lots of people have come to get healed? I puzzled with that for a couple of weeks, reading the scripture over and over again. Think, what, why did he say it then? Here's what I think. And this is why it's so important for you and me in a momentum. I think it's because it's the first time ever Jesus has trusted someone to heal when he wasn't present in person. First time. In other words, here's someone who realized, I didn't have to be there. He just had to call on me. I didn't have to be there in person, but he just called him. Never have I seen faith such as this. You see how important that is for us? Because Jesus isn't with us physically. He's given us his spirit to dwell within This guy was more important in the work of God than he thought he was. Much more important. But here's the thing. Jesus still acted upon the faith this man had. He was on his way to his house. Even though Jesus knew he didn't have to go. He still was going. It's a bit like I wonder myself sometimes how much I've trusted God to do something and God has responded at my level of faith but I didn't realize my level of faith could have been higher. And God might have done something even more if I just trusted more and believed more. You see, I don't understand why God does lots of things. It's, it's amazing. He's, he's, he's asking God to do something that no one knew God could do yet and God could do it. I hope as a church you're asking God to do things that you didn't even know God could do.
but he can. When I was teaching at Bible college many years ago, one of the students asked me one of the most insightful questions I've ever been asked. He said this to me, Tim, we must have had a conversation. He said to me, Tim, what are you trusting God for that only God can do? Not even what are you trusting God for if it doesn't work, go to plan B. But only God can do. What are you trusting God for? Only God can do. You see, God can do amazing things through you and through me. I mean, who, who would have thought people got healed by standing in Peter's shadow? Who would have thought people got healed by touching Paul's handkerchief? God didn't set that up. People set that up. They trusted God to do that. Now, it doesn't mean you have some sort of handkerchief theology. You know, you just start a new branch of the church with the hankies. It doesn't mean that. God just chose to honour that somehow. He just honoured the faith of the people. Don't get caught up in the illustration so much, but he honoured the faith of people. Trusted them. Who would have thought God could do that? It's not a name and claim it kind of stuff. It's not a presumption stuff. It's just that God honours people who have rivers of living water flowing out of them and trust him. Trust him to do amazing things. I've got to tell you, in the time ahead for you as a church, there'll be, there'll be opportunities, there'll be obstacles, there'll be all sorts of things. And the devil won't rob you of your faith probably, but what he will try and do is rob you of the momentum of your faith. He'll try and rob you of the rhythm of your faith, of the movement of your faith, of taking one step after another, of trusting the presence of God in your life. I want to encourage you to ensure you're living a new covenant, a new covenant faith. Don't look for momentum somewhere else, in someone else. God is moving in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And realize that you are more important in the work of God than you think you are. You are. Apostle Paul says this. You know these words very well. We quote them. In Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We, only, we usually stop there. And we quote it all. God's able to do more than we can ask, think or imagine. Listen to what he says. According to his power that is at work within us. Not around us. Not in someone else. God's able to do more than you can ask, think or imagine because of his power that dwells within you. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to say two more quick things, an image and a challenge. There's an image on the screen, you'll see it. So an African impala. It's a, it's a little animal. It's about that big. Many haven't even seen an African impala. They sort of run in. If you've been to the safari, they're about that big. They're about that tall and uh, little animals that run real quick. They have to to get away from lions and stuff. But these animals have an amazing ability. That animal can jump 10 feet in the air and 30 feet forward when they spring. They'll run for a while and spring 10 feet up, 30 feet forward, land another few steps, do the same thing again. Amazing, amazing little animals. You can corral a group of African impalas, or one African corral, you can corral an African impala or a group of them from moving just by building a wall about that big. Build a wall about that high, 
They will never do that. You think, why? How can, how can you stop a, an animal that can jump 10 feet in the air and 30 feet forward by a little wall that big? The African impala will never jump if he cannot see where he's going to land. That's the truth about them. They don't do that. If you cannot see where you're going to land, you won't jump. I wonder if we're the same. I wonder if we're able to take leaps of faith without always knowing exactly where we're going to land. I wonder if we're able to move forward in the power of his spirit without fully knowing what it looks like. Sometimes we've got to have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and we're going to see what it looks like and we've got to strategize from here to wherever to get it done and we don't take the next step. And we stop the momentum of God because God might surprise us with one thing. You're the work of God. I'm the move of God. That's how it works. I want to just finish today with a challenge to you and maybe you're here and you've lost a bit of momentum in your faith. Maybe you're here and you're a little bit stuck. Maybe you're here and your, your, your Christian journey doesn't look as exciting as someone else's. Maybe you're here and the rhythms got lost somewhere. And you feel a bit stuck and a bit, a bit lost. Maybe the last time you can think of how God worked in your life is a bit far behind. You're more, more, for, more in, the, in the past than you'd like to think it should be. I want to pray for you today. Just if, if, if you're in a place where you think, I just need momentum, my faith is a bit stuck, I'd love to pray for you. And here's what I want to just invite you to do. Just in a moment, I'm not going to elongate this or drag it out. But if where you are, just stand where you are, and I'm going to pray for you. Just pray for, for whatever reason. If you feel like, you know, you, you need a, just a boost of God's momentum, His Spirit within you, just feel free to stand where you are. I'm going to leave it for about 30 seconds and then pray. Just where you are now. Father, I want to thank you so much for the bravery and the courage of people who are prepared to say, you know, I'm a little stuck. My face not quite as sharp as I would hope it is at the moment, or it has been, or it doesn't seem to match up to somebody else's. Father, I want to thank you for each person who stood, and I don't know why the reason is, and I don't need to know, you know. And Father, I would pray for a new understanding of your spirit dwelling within that in each person who's come to faith in Jesus, and each person who's stood today who's come to faith in Jesus, your spirit dwells within like rivers of living water to flow out. And Father, if there's been a, a movement or a, a kind of motion that's been restricted in some way, I pray that you release that and free that right now. In Jesus' name. And Father, if there have been circumstances, just maybe heartaches or grief or tragedy that's come into people's lives that's just causing that stuck, I pray that you'll comfort them by the same Spirit who dwells within them. That they will know your comfort. That they'll know your peace. We sang before, Lord God, the hope that is within us. 
I pray that they will know your peace. Father, for each person who stood, just give them a real infusion of your presence, a real knowledge that the Spirit of Jesus lives in me. I have movement. I have momentum. My faith matters. My faith matters. God, inspire them to make a difference in the world in which they live. We pray it in Jesus' name.